are listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. If you aren't following us on social media, make sure to head to Facebook and Instagram and search for My Collective Church to learn more about what is going on at Collective as we start this new year. Thank you again for listening. Now let's get into Sunday's message. A few years ago, I came across a story that had the headline, Egyptian Zoo Accused of Bad Paint Job by Coloring Donkeys to Look Like Zebras. And so I thought, I absolutely have to read this. And so I did, and it's exactly what the title said. In 2018, an animal sanctuary in Cairo had taken donkeys and spray painted them to look like zebras. It's kind of insane. Uh, You can actually see from the picture, the paint's actually melting and smearing all over the donkey's face. Um, But if you're like me and you don't actually know what's the difference between a painted donkey and a zebra, here's a picture of a zebra. Um, These are very different. Um, You can see that the stripes are not painted on. Um, But also, I learned that zebras have smaller ears and darker noses. So if anybody asks you what you learned in church today, it's that you learned the difference between a zebra and a donkey. And so this week, I, was, I figured I would start my sermon by telling this story. And so I Googled it to find the pictures. And to my surprise, there was another article about a tourist safari in Spain where they did the exact same thing. In 2019, they painted two donkeys to look like zebras. This is way more obvious. So apparently this is a thing, right? If you own a zoo and you're like, man, we need zebras, uh, you take donkeys and you paint them and you do a really, really terrible job. Now, I'm sure some of you are thinking, okay, why did Michael want to tell us this story today? It's a great question. Uh, It's because this reminds me of how we approach our emotions when we're unhealthy, right? Think about it. Instead of being real about how we are feeling and managing our emotions in a healthy way, We often put on a facade and pretend like everything's okay because that feels easier. The problem is that it's like painting a donkey to look like a zebra. It doesn't work. And do you know what you get when you paint a donkey to look like a zebra? An ass with stripes painted on it. (laughs) And the same is true for us when we bury, hide, push down, ignore, or mishandle the very real feelings that we feel. Jesus said in Luke 10, verse 27, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. Every time I sit down uh, with the overseers of collective, this is a question they ask me. They ask me, how is your heart, soul, strength, and mind? And what they're asking me is, am I healthy? Right? How is your heart? How are you doing emotionally? How are you feeling? They'll ask, how is your mind? How's your mental health? Are you seeing your counselor? How's your soul? How are you doing spiritually? Are you reading the Bible? Are you praying? Are you spending time worshiping? How's your strength? Like, how are you doing physically? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you taking care of your body? And I know for me, and this is probably true for many of you as well, it's way easier for me to work on my soul, mind, and strength than it is my heart, right? Because we can go to church, we can go see a counselor, we can eat healthier, but our heart, that's just a whole different thing. Because we've been taught to hide our true feelings and to to fake it until we make it. Or we've been taught that we don't need to actually keep our emotions in check. And if they hurt other people, including ourselves, that's really on them. 
But like our soul strength and mind, there's a healthy and unhealthy way to approach our heart. And so what we've done in this series is we've, uh, we've dived into some of the core emotions that we feel, and not just to talk about them, but to learn from a God-centered perspective. Because God created emotions, and Jesus felt the same emotions that we do. In fact, I read that Jesus displayed 39 different emotions throughout the four biographies of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We read that Jesus felt anxiety and anger and shame and sadness and pain and surprise, hope, faith, love, joy, peace, and so much more. But he approached them in a way that was emotionally healthy. And so we want to learn from him through scripture because the Bible teaches us what healthy emotions look like, but it also warns us the damage that unhealthy emotions and an unhealthy approach to those can cause. But if that isn't enough, psychologists have found that when we recognize our emotions and allow ourselves to feel them in a healthy and safe capacity, we feel more grounded, more ourselves, and even more resilient. When we feel our emotions, our lives tend to hold more value to us. We care more, want more, love more, grow more, and aspire more. But when we avoid feeling, we often lose touch of our real self and has a negative impact on who we are, our identity, has a negative impact on our relationships, our faith, and a ton more. And so the last three weeks, we talked about anger, worry, and sadness. And if you missed any of those, I would encourage you to go on YouTube, look up Collective Church, or whatever you listen to podcasts on, and check them out, because they really do lead into what we're talking about today. Today, we're talking about the topic of joy. Let me just say this before we dig in. Just like your physical health and your mental health, when it comes to your emotional health and your spiritual health, it really is a journey. There are going to be good days and bad days, but as long as you make it a priority and spend time every day and every week working on your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you will see growth. It might just take a little longer sometimes, and that's okay. And as much as I would like for this series to be a quick fix on the unhealthy ways that we approach worry, anger, or sadness, it won't be. It's not possible for four sermons to fix those things. But the hope is that maybe today is where you take one step forward in your emotional health. Or maybe you've been working on it, and so today, or this series is just kind of this way to elevate you to the next level, right? And I know we want change to happen immediately, but it takes time. So I just want to encourage you, be patient with yourself. Don't give up when things get hard, because they will get hard. Chances are they're hard right now as you're working through them. And ultimately, through everything, allow God to keep leading the way as you dig into your emotional health. All right, let's talk about joy. Joy is the main emotion talked about in the Bible uh, when they talk about a positive well-being. There are just under 500 references to joy or rejoicing throughout all of Scripture. Here are just a few ways that it shows up in the New Testament. When Jesus gets baptized in the Jordan River, the heavens open up, and God says, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. In Matthew 28, when the women see the empty tomb after Jesus' resurrection, the Bible says that they are frightened, but also filled with great joy. In Luke 2, after Jesus is born, an angel visits shepherds in the field and says, don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, has been born. In Luke 15, Jesus says there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. In Luke 19, when Jesus tells Zacchaeus, who's a tax collector and notorious sinner, that he's going to come to his house to eat dinner, it says that Zacchaeus took Jesus to his house in great excitement 
and joy. The book of Acts, which is all about how the church spread uh, throughout the known world during that time, Luke writes that there was great joy in the city and the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And what he's talking about is the church's impacts on the communities they were in. The church has brought joy to those cities. In Romans 4, it says, joy is the feeling we feel when we're forgiven. Paul says this, yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Paul also talks about how joy is shared in Philippians 2, when he says, you should rejoice, and I will share in your joy. And the reason we're ending by talking about joy in this series is very intentional, and that's because joy is a feeling that is not circumstantial. Joy is a feeling that is not circumstantial. It cannot be bought. It's not conditional on someone else's behavior. It comes before, during, and after the storms we face. In fact, you can feel anger and joy. You can feel worry and joy. You can feel sadness and joy. Check this out. 2 Corinthians 6 says, Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. Right? You can experience both of those feelings at the same time. 1 Peter 1 says, So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. 2 Corinthians 8 says, They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. In James 1, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. In other words, there can always be joy. Five years ago, uh, I went to Haiti with a small team from Collective to work with a church plant there called Home that we partner with. And Haiti is a beautiful country, but it's also a country that's been devastated by natural disasters and corruption and violence. It's in the bottom 15% of the world when it comes to life expectancy. It's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and more than half of the people who live there live under the poverty line. In other words, it's just a really hard place to live. And you see this from the moment that you get off the plane. It's quite a culture shock compared to where we currently live. And while we were there, the church was actually getting ready to launch. They were a few months away. And so our goal was to help them serve the community and invite people to come check out this church. And so one afternoon, we did something called Kids Club. This is essentially what we do in Collective Kids, but it was in an afternoon during the week. And so there's a Bible story, there's games, snacks, a ton of fun other things. And while we were there doing this Kids Club, there was this overwhelming sense of joy, but not from us from the 75-plus kids who were there. It was completely unreal. That night, we went back to the compound we were staying in, and we did this circle up, and we, we did this every night to just talk about what we were seeing and what we were learning and, and to help us process. And the thing our team wanted to talk about the most was how joyful the kids were because it just didn't make sense. Right? If anyone had the right to not be happy, it was these kids. Most of them had no idea where their next meal was coming from. Most of them lived in single-room homes with their entire family. They're made out of cinder block. They didn't have reliable plumbing or electricity. Right? These kids didn't have dressers full of clothes or Netflix or fast food or video games. Right? Their life was hard, but you couldn't actually tell from the smiles glued to their faces. And so we asked the pastor, his name was just me, and we asked him, what is going on and he said, Haitians don't have a lot, but they do have joy. I still get goosebumps thinking about that. Right? Wouldn't it be great if we were thought of that way? Right? Not just Americans, but the church in general. 
Right? So here's what Justin was saying, and he's just echoing scripture. He's saying joy is not contingent on everything being perfect. It's not contingent on only good things happening in your life. There will be trials. There will be heartache. There will be troubles. There will be anger and worry and sadness, but there can also be joy. Right? Joy isn't an either-or thing. Joy is an and type of thing. It's the decision to focus on the good things that are happening in your life and choosing the joy that comes with them, even when bad things are happening. Ultimately, it's a feeling that all of us experience, all of us have inside of us, but it's the one that often gets overshadowed when we feel these other emotions. You know, one of my favorite things about being the pastor of Collective is hearing what people love about this church. I love when I meet a first-time guest or someone who's only been coming for a few weeks, and they come to me and say, everyone here is just so nice. Or they'll say, people here, just, they're just so happy. Or I've never seen people so excited about baptisms. And what they're seeing and experiencing is the joy of people who go here. But here's what's true. Every single Sunday, there are people here who are struggling, people who are dealing with trials, sometimes in healthy ways, a lot of times in unhealthy ways. Every single Sunday, there are people here whose marriages are hanging on by a thread, people whose jobs are causing them stress, whose families are broken and full of unforgiveness, who are struggling with addiction or mental health issues, people who are ultimately trying their best and it took everything in their power just to be here today. And when they're here, it's not like these problems go away. It's that their perspective shifts. Yes, I am sad, but there's still joy. Yes, I feel anxious, but there's still joy. Yes, I feel anger, but there's still joy. Yes, I feel all of these complex feelings, but there's still so much joy in my life as well. Ultimately, it's them choosing to feel and show the joy they have in their life, right? And it's beautiful. And I know that this is easier said than done. Brene Brown is an author who writes about vulnerability and shame, and she talks about this topic called foreboding joy. Brown explains that joy is one of the most difficult feelings for us to allow ourselves to feel because it automatically makes us incredibly vulnerable. When we allow our hearts to be filled up with this indescribable feeling of joy, we become open to the possibility of it being taken away, of our hearts being crushed and our hopes dashed on the hard ground of despair. And Brown says, if you cannot tolerate joy, what you start doing is you start dress rehearsing tragedy. Dress rehearsing tragedy is imagining something bad is going to happen when in reality, nothing is wrong. In one of her books, she asks, how many of you have ever stood over the child while they were sleeping and thought, I love you, and then pictured something horrific happening? Or you woke up in the morning and thought, my job's great, my parents are good, this can't last. Calling joy terrifying may seem strained, but she explains that this fear stems from having our joy taken away, and then it becomes foreboding. I'm worried that it's going to be taken away or the other shoe's going to drop. I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel this in my soul, right? I do this as a way of protecting myself from the potential of pain. And because of that, and people who are like me, we often struggle with joy because we're afraid that it will end, that it will be taken away. And this is an unhealthy approach to joy because it implies that joy can't coexist with hard things but it can. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, always be joyful. Right? And Paul, who writes this, says there's, there's no caveats. Right? There's no exclusions. There's no loopholes. Because true joy is saying, I know that the other shoe could drop, 
but I'm gonna focus on the good things that I have going on in my life instead of the bad. It's not being afraid to lose the joy you feel because it's the underlying current of your emotions because joy is a feeling that isn't circumstantial. Now, there's kind of a catch to all this, right? I know, there's, of course, there's a catch. But the catch is this. Real joy only comes from God. Author and pastor Eugene Peterson wrote that joy cannot be purchased or arranged. It is not circumstantial and based on money, relationships, or sports. Joy comes from God and is found on the truth that God is in control. In John 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and it's actually one of the last times uh, he taught them before his death. And Jesus uses the illustration of a grapevine and explains that that's what the relationship is like for him and his disciples. He says, I am the grapevine, you are the branches. Then he goes on to explain that when they're connected to him, when they stay true to their faith, when they continue to trust him, they will bear fruit. Ultimately, good things will happen in, in, in your life. And then he says this in John 15, verse 9. He says, I've loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Then he explains what that looks like. He says, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. And so Jesus makes it very clear that if we want to remain connected to him, if we want to remain in his love, we need to obey his commandments. He's not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the commandments he gave to love God and to love people. And then Jesus says this in verse 11, I have told you these things so that you will be filled, with my, be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So what he's teaching us is that when we remain in Jesus, when we stay connected to him, we will be filled with joy. And not just a small amount of joy, a joy that overflows from our hearts. And this is a joy that doesn't go away. Right? This is the joy that is always present in the lives of people who follow Jesus. The joy comes from the hope that Jesus brings. The joy comes from his unconditional love. Joy comes from the grace that he gives us. In the Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament, uh, the word for, for joy is kara, and the word for grace is charis. They have the same root. Ultimately, they come from the same word. And I don't think that's a coincidence because I think grace and joy go hand in hand. Jesus came to bring grace into a world that desperately needs it. Grace is getting something better than we deserve. We We call it endless second chances here. So while we deserve death, Jesus gives us life. While we deserve punishment, Jesus gives us forgiveness. While we deserve a life separated from God, Jesus gives us a way back to him through dying on a cross for our sins. And so remaining in Jesus means remaining in his grace. And that brings joy every day. And so no matter what you are going through, there is grace. No matter how you are falling short, there is grace. No matter what sadness you feel, there is grace. And this is why joy isn't circumstantial when it comes from God, because grace is always there. I'm just being honest, but if you are not connected to Jesus, I don't really understand how you muster up the energy to feel joy on a regular basis. Because I don't understand where else this real joy could come from. Like for people who don't have a savior who loves them unconditionally, for people who don't know what grace and endless second chances feel like, for people who don't know what peace and hope feel like, how do they find joy? Where does it come from? Because I know for me personally, at the end of the day, even in my hardest days, I've got Jesus. 
and that brings me joy. I don't have to drum it up on my own. I don't have to fake it. I don't have to try to find it in other things like money or sports or other people. I just have this baseline of a savior and that takes some pressure off me. In fact, that brings me more joy because it's not on me. I'm not responsible for that. And I'm not saying that other things can't bring you joy. They certainly can. But what I'm saying is those things are fleeting. A good movie, a good meal, a good afternoon with friends, a team you love, winning the big game, those can all bring joy. But that is a temporary joy. But we learn that the joy of the Lord is forever. It's every day, every moment, every second. There is no ebb and flow. It's not seasonal. Jesus says just a few verses later in John 16 that the joy he gives is a joy that no one can take away from us. And so real joy comes from God. And if you don't follow Jesus, I guess I just have to ask you, where does your joy come from? Where do you get that feeling of joy? And are you truly feeling it? Right? What has that felt like for you for the past few years in the good times and the, and the bad? Right? What has it felt like in the sorrow and the worry, in the trials and the troubles? Was joy still there or was it temporary? And my guess is that that joy was here one second and gone the next. And with that being the case, don't you want something more? I mean, this is why we talk about baptism so much at Collective. It's about joy. It's about the joy that Jesus talks about when a lost person comes home. It's about the joy of forgiveness of sins. It's about the joy of knowing that there's grace. Ultimately, we want people to feel that real joy. We want you to feel that joy. Not because all of our problems have gone away and things are perfect, but because your joy is not contingent on this world. It's not contingent on things that don't last forever, but instead it's contingent on the love of a Savior that will never go away. And for the third week in a row, we're celebrating a baptism during second service. And when getting ready for this next step, we asked Nate to share a little bit of his story with us. And he told us that up until a few years ago, he had avoided church. He believed in a higher power, but church wasn't something he felt like he could be a part of. Uh, in fact, he, he said that he used to fight religion all the time. Eventually, that led him to dabble in Buddhism a little bit uh, because he did believe in a higher power, but he could never really figure it out. That through some life circumstances, he found himself searching for more, and that led him to a Bible study. He began reading the book of Matthew and reading about Jesus and how he loved lost and broken people. And it was this Christmas that Nate came to Collective for the first time. And this is my favorite thing he shared with us. He said, I was shocked. I had no idea that church could be this way and actually good. <laughs> Some of you know that feeling. So today during second service, we're celebrating as Nate is declaring his faith in Jesus and choosing the new life that he offers. But Nate is also choosing joy. Joy for today, joy for tomorrow, joy for eternity. And so if you are ready for that, if that is what you've been seeking out in all the other things of this world, and you've realized that it's fleeting, that it goes away, that it doesn't last forever, the challenge that we have for you is to do the same thing that Nate's going to do today, that Mark did last week, and it's to get baptized. It's to check the baptism box in your digital connection card or go to next steps after service so we can have a conversation and begin the conversation of what does it look like for you to put your faith fully in Jesus? Ultimately, we want nothing more as a church to celebrate with you that real joy that God has for you, that grace, uh, that goodness that he has. But it's on you to kind of take that next step and get there. 
Now, here's the last thing about joy, uh, and it's actually about Jesus. And if there's anything that you write down today or take a picture of, um, I would say this should be it. Um, it comes from Hebrews 12. This is what Hebrews 12, 2 says. It says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Side note, I just love that Jesus is called a champion here. Um, I'm super competitive and I like winning, so I feel like I'm on the winning side. Uh, but it also reminds me that I'm following the right kind of coach, right? I'm following the right kind of leader, someone who wins. And then the author of this verse continues. He says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. And so here's the last and really the most important thing about joy today. You are his joy. If you're taking notes, maybe you should write it down like this. I am his joy. I am his joy. The author of this says, because of the joy awaiting Jesus, he endured the cross. And the joy wasn't the crucifixion. It wasn't bearing the weight of our sin. The joy awaiting Jesus was eternal life. It was saving us and creating a way for us to be reconciled back to God. His joy is me and his joy is you. And that joy was enough for him to go to the cross, meaning for some reason we are enough for him to go to the cross, to be beaten, mocked, and tortured, to take on the shame of our sin and to resurrect from the dead three days later, making his joy complete. And because of that, we can be forgiven. We can be made new. We can experience a true and everlasting joy, right? And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how dark your life feels. When you put your faith in Jesus, he forgives your sins and he gives you joy because he loves you, because you are his joy. You are not too broken, too sinful, too angry, too anxious, or too sad. It's not contingent on anything we have done, but comes free because Jesus loves us more than anything in this world. You are his joy, and because of that, we can have joy as well. Let's pray. God, um, as we wrestle with these emotions and these feelings that we feel, um, I think it's really hard for us to understand um, this idea that joy is always in our life. God, that there's always things that we can be joyful for. And God, ultimately those things come from you because there's so many hard things going on. And we resonate so much with anger and worry and sadness And God, what we do is we pray for good things to happen so we can feel joy, but what you teach us in the Bible is joy is always there. God, joy is always flowing beneath our emotions, flowing beneath us in our heart. And God, it really is up to us to turn our focus. And so God, I I pray this week that's what we do. Um, God, it's so easy to focus on the negative things and on the bad things and on the heavy things and ignore the good. But God, I pray this week that we focus on the good this joy that you give us, this joy that comes from grace and endless second chances and love and hope and peace and these things that you died to give us. And so God, I pray this week that that is where we turn our attention. God, I pray for everybody here who um, is wrestling with you, wrestling with the idea of you, wrestling with joy. Um, God, I I pray as as they hear this, as they think about this, as um, as they really wrestle with this this week, 
God, help them realize that the things that they are looking for joy in won't last forever, but a relationship with you will, and your grace will. And God, help them experience that true joy that never goes away, that never fades, that always is present in our lives. God, we don't understand um, why you love us so much. God, we don't understand um, why we are your joy, because um, we, we understand and we don't feel like we bring a lot of that to the world. Um, but God, we are just so thankful for that truth. And so God, help us hold on to that. Um, God, help us uh, put that into the place in our emotions and in our hearts. And God, ultimately, help us bring that joy back out through you. God, we thank you and love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.